Hi there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to the latest episode of the Jedi Council podcast. I'm your host for the day, Alistair Clark, and I am joined as ever by our brother in the force, as Alex would say, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. And we're also joined by the first lady of the Jedi Council, Mera. Hi, Mera. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Ali. How are you? I'm very good. Did you notice how I didn't do hello, Mera, then? You did. I saw that. That was very smooth. I've got a red. I think you needed to say hello, Mayor, anyway. <laughs> and hello, Ali. <laughs> I've got a reputation as Mr. Contrary to keep up here, so yeah, I don't want to don't want to be all predictable. But how are we doing, guys? It's been a huge week in Star Wars, hasn't it? Yes, a lot of things. It has, yeah. So we're going to be touching on as much as we can today, and I think the best place to start is with the news about the Mandalorian. So this week we saw a uh, a post on his Instagram feed from director and creator John Favreau about the Mandalorian and it said that after the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So straight away, we now know where it's set. We've seen some pictures in the last couple of weeks coming through. Dave, are you happy to hear uh, that it's been set in the Mandalorian sphere? Yes. Yes, I'm very happy with that. It, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's almost like it's going to be a Western gunslinger space thing what's <laughs> yeah. a better word and in my head I'm almost thinking it might be a bit like um, Firefly and Serenity I don't know if you remember that Joss Whedon's mm. I certainly do I love that. yeah um, and, and, and that ha- that has this this idea of almost like a, a westernised sci-fi so I, I don't know. It might be nothing like that, but in my head, that's where it's going. Yeah. So, Mera, we think that it's set in an unknown part of the galaxy and around the lone gunfighter, as Dave said. So, are you looking for a western here? What are you really looking for in this in this live action production? Oh my goodness! The fact that it's about a Mandalorian is. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, I don't know who follows my Twitter, but um, <laughs> I think I've decided when I grow up, I want to be a Mandalorian. I would love to, to cosplay. So, <laughs> um, I mean, Princess Leia underneath it, of course. But um, uh, and what was the name of uh, Leia's? Uh, I always misspelled Bosch. Bush. Yeah. Bush. Yeah. That's, that, um, that was exactly where my head was going. Yes. Yeah. So you would be a Bush. Yeah, because I wanted to be that. And then uh, now all this Mandalorian armor that I've been seeing is just gorgeous. And I, I don't, I see it as a Western. I mean, honestly, kind of type, not like it's going to be, you know, high noon, but feel. But, um, yeah, I'm very, very excited about this. I can't wait to see what's happening. I mean, the picture that they've shown over the web is, it's, I'm sucked in already. It looks so authentic and just as gritty as Star Wars is supposed to look, and um, I I can't wait. And the directors that they're going to have on some of these episodes, uh, very exciting. Yeah, I'm on tenterhooks. Mm. <laughs> so, Dave, perhaps it might be a good thing at this point to 
discuss a little bit about Mandalore and where the Mandalorians oh. come from. I didn't expect that one whatsoever. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. So this is from No Notes. Thank you, Ali. I really appreciate this. Welcome. Um, so, fr- from what I'm aware of, um, Mandalore has long featured as an empire, uh, as well as a warrior culture, um, that has been at odds with the Old Republic. Um, I remember that they featured in the computer games Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, quite heavily they featured then, actually. Um, you kept coming across Mandalorian marauders. Um, and the setting of the Knights of the Old Republic game also linked into a Mandalorian war against the the Republic. Um, and it was when the one of the, the Jedi generals um, succumbed to the dark side whilst um, whilst being in these wars against the, the Mandalorians. So um, Darth oh, Malek, I think, in my head. Um, obviously, this, this, this is all coming from my head now, so I'm not reading anything here. Goodness me. Thank you, Ali. Um, so, yes, okay, so you had it back then, um, which I think was 20,000 years before the time of the... The Old Republic, as it was in um, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Um, and then you've, you've also then got them popping up again in the Clone Wars. Um, they, they appear a number of times throughout the Clone Wars. Again, almost... It almost appears from the Clone Wars cartoons that the, the Mandalore... Society have given up their warlike ways. They've made peace with the Republic. Um, and so, uh, are now a more cultured and more, um, commerce orientated society rather than being a, a warlike society. But there are still rogue elements of that society who want to reinstall the, the power and the might of, of Mandalore and see the Clone Wars as a, as a vessel, a means for them to, to regain power. And that's, that's led by Pre Vizsla. Um, ultimately, Darth Maul reappears mm-hmm. and, um, overtakes the power that Pre Vizsla wants to try and take for himself. Um, in the, in, along the route, killing Pre Vizsla. Um, he also then kills the queen of the Mandalore, who was the love of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Duchess Satine. Um, yes, Satine, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and killed her directly in front of Obi-Wan as a lesson, uh, or as punishment, or, or... They called it his Shadow Collective, right? His what, sorry? Darth Maul's Shadow Collective? Yeah, it was whilst he was trying to build his um, military, his um, gangs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose that's, that's the end of it, the, the period there that we see Mandalore. But then they reappear again in the Rebels cartoons. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the rebels is a Mandalorian, and she, and she returns home. Uh, Sabine, Sabine, um, Sabine Wren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she returns home to reclaim her position within her family, um, and she also recaptures the, the dark saber. That Pre Vizsla and Darth Maul were both um, held previously. Um, nice. I think that's about it. And and then you've also you've you've also got. I mean, we were discussing this on Twitter. You've then also got Mandalore popping up as non-canon um, in the novels. Um, initially, there was this this view that Jango Fett was a Mandalorian. Um, that was reinforced by the Karen Travis novels, um, I think they're known as the Nulls, um, which brought on board the idea that there were a number of other Mandalorian warriors who would help train and develop the, the clone troopers um, to, to get them up to becoming warriors. Um, and they were all joining the New Republic to to help train the, the clone troopers as mercenaries um, because they were following Django and Django was positioned as their king. And that's, that was the way they, those novels were set. But then I, I believe that Dave Filoni um, said unequivocally that Django wasn't actually a Mandalorian. Um, he just happened to be wearing the uniform. So I suppose that then pushes all those novels now completely away from canon. Um, and with no no option for them ever becoming canon, which is a shame because the Karen Travis novels are absolutely amazing, really really good novels. Um, and so that means that Boba Fett also isn't Mandalorian, despite mm-hmm. the, the fact that the pair of them wear Mandalorian armor. So I suppose that's that 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 is that then makes it interesting that John Favreau says after. Um, Jango Fett and Boba Fett, a new Mandalorian time. It's like, well, they were never Mandalorian, were they? Or were they? Uh, yeah, how would they tie that in? So either Dave Filoni was mistaken, or John Farrow will now be mistaken. Interesting. Mm. So I think, I think that's a really good appraisal of Mandalorian Mandalorians and to be honest, we could probably fill a couple of hours just on that alone. Um, is there anything you'd want to add about that, Mera? Um, I'm not sure if we touched on Death Watch, but I thought it was a kind of cool uh, institution coming out of Mandalore. Um, not really. I'm amazed if that's just from your head, Dave. That was fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd remember that. But again, I don't have, I haven't read the EU or anything, but uh, that's fabulous. I had gone on the, uh, a little webpage here and you just really, yeah. No, it was fabulous. It was a great, um, I don't think I could really add to that. Okay, okay. Well, Dave. We got the Death Watch, which is a good point. I actually did miss over. I mean, that was pre Vizsla's gang, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't actually get their name, so apologies for that. Oh, please don't apologize. That came from your head. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of speculation, everyone's going to have their own theories about where this could go. Obviously, um, 
with Sabine and the way that it was left in Rebels, it could be a story focusing on, on where she goes with that. So I don't think so from, from this. Um, I personally wouldn't mind seeing something about Death Watch because, um, it's a sort of an interesting organization within the, the Mandalorian culture. But we've also heard a little bit about who the directors are. And so they're actually incredibly high profile. Let's start with the first name of the list, which is Dave's already mentioned him, Dave Filoni. Mary, are you delighted to see his debut in live action? Sure. Yeah, I think that he's um, he's got a lot of talent and a lot of his. I, I mean, I can't I find anything really wrong with anything he's done. So um, is this the he's going to helm the premiere, right? He's going to yeah. do the first one. I think it's going to be a great way to start the series, to be honest. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I really enjoyed everything he's done thus far. Yeah, me too. Dave, have you got anything to add about Dave Filoni making the move to live action and what it could mean for the future of Star Wars? Do you see him directing? Yeah, I was thinking that. That was exactly where my head was going. Is is this his opportunity to move from animation into live action? In which case, could he longer term then move towards directing a movie? Could that then open up his route to becoming um, Lucasfilm CEO? Yeah, that that that's because we we've had it reconfirmed that um, Kathleen Kennedy is staying at the helm for now another couple of years. Um, personally, I've got no issue with Kathleen Kennedy, this, despite a lot of a lot of negative press she's had. Maybe she's focused on some of the wrong things sometimes, uh, but she's she's done a good job. She's brought out some fantastic animation under her leadership and some great films so she's done a good job so i've got no issue with her staying on mm. but if you went back a few months there was a lot of debate about who could replace her who should replace her um dave filoni's name was floated at the time i think we even discussed it on a podcast that he would from our perspective he would be an ideal candidate because he lives and breathes Star Wars. he's mm. he was mentored by george lucas directly as was kathleen kennedy um, so if anybody could pick up the, the helmet, it, it, it could be him. But perhaps within the wider business community, maybe, or the movie-making industry community, maybe he was unknown because he didn't do live action. He was only known for animation. Is this an opportunity for him to show his skills with live action, perhaps pick up a film, a film in the near future, and, and that then puts him in a, a very good position? to manage Lucasfilm. I think it's natural, don't you? I mean, he's directing voice actors. They're still actors, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I don't see any yeah. problem with him managing Lucasfilm. For me, to manage Lucasfilm, you don't need to be a movie person. What you no. need to do is understand what Star Wars is. Yeah. And that's basically he understands what he Star does. Wars is. Yes, he does, yeah. I'd love to be the guy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree with you both anymore. And for those of you that listened to our last podcast, you may have heard my deliberately uh, mispronunciation of Shmi Skywalker, which of course is not Shimmy, and I'm completely aware of that. Thank you for those that pointed it out. And about to say, other episodes in this are going to be directed by Thor Ragnarok's, oh gosh, Taika Waititi. 
Anyone else want to have a go at that name? And uh, more interesting. I'm happy for you to mangle that one on your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that one. I thought, oh, not again. But I don't know. Did he review Watch for Ragnarok? Because I did, and I thought it was it was brilliant. It had a lot of humour in it, and I can really see him directing a real quality Star Wars episode. Oh yeah, I lo- I love Thor Ragnarok. It reminds me of his <laughs> 1970s roller disco, but yeah, um, yeah, great movie, great movie. I'm yeah. quite excited about that. And then we have this really interesting thing, which is obviously Bryce Dallas Howard, star of recent Jurassic Park films, um, and daughter of Ron Howard directing an episode. So it's, I thought that was really quite interesting that obviously Ron Howard's had a great time directing Solo, and, you know, I think there's been a lot of positive reaction now people are seeing it on DVD. So to see his daughter now direct an episode and get involved in Star Wars Uniforms, I thought it was, it was pretty cool. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And I think what this is also highlighting is the fact that we're moving away from predominantly white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing. Um, yeah. bringing in multiple culture, but also um, seeing it from a lady's perspective. Mm-hmm. As, as Mare has, <laughs> has proven, <laughs> you can be a super fan. You, it's, Star Wars is not restricted to a white 40-something-year-old bloke. No. No, and, and, and we, we gals have quite a passion for it, and I uh, can't wait to, yeah. Absolutely. I think our passion is just as much or equal to that of uh, any guy, really. And we can be geeky and nerdy about it. Yes. <laughs> Proud and geek. That's right. <laughs> now, basketball, I don't know anything about, so I won't pretend. But Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Different. <laughs> And so my real last point about uh, The Mandalorian, because obviously at this stage information is, is limited, but I'm sure it's going to drip through, is that we've seen the first image of it. Um, Dave, what did you think? Were you excited by the costume that you saw? I know I've seen lots of people saying it's absolutely brilliant. Some people saying it just was like a cosplayer. What did you think? I, I thought it was brilliant. I don't, I don't know what the cosplay comment was for. I did see that type of comment. Oh, here's one for the cosplayers. But <laughs> I've seen some phenomenal pieces of equipment and armor worn by cosplayers. So um, I, I would actually take that as a compliment for any cosplayer um, who, who really puts their effort in. If they can produce a suit of armor that looks as good as um, the one that we saw on the on the the photo that we've seen, I can't see any problem with that. It's it looks a little bit shabby. It looks a little bit um, worn in. But Star Wars is shabby and worn in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the prequels will always stand out as being slightly at odds with the wider movies, just because it's it it didn't have that worn in look. Yeah, definitely. I remember um, with with the prequels, there was always this rumour that there was going to be some technological catastrophe at the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, because that was the only way you could explain the the original films. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I don't have a problem with this at all. Mary, do, do you do you like the costumes? Oh, I adore them. I, I they're they're not supposed to be shiny. They're warriors. They're 
Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think he's something, he's not a bounty hunter, you know. I'd like to see a, a, a there's so much you can do with this, this Mandalorian, this lone one. I'm assuming it's a lone Mandalorian that we're having the story around, the series around. Is that, yes, do you think that's a safe yeah. assumption? Um, just and he looks like a man as well from the, yeah. from the picture. Yeah. 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 There's been a lot of rumors that it's Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones. So there is rumors about who the actor is. But yeah, it does look like he's solo. Yeah. No, it looks great. It looks authentic. It looks like he's, you know, he's the lone gunman, really. Not to be cliche ish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, again, this, it all depends on whether you class Django as a Mandalorian or not. But he was from a Maori origin, the, the character, uh, yeah. the, the actor, sorry. Um, so it's a non-white um, person that we've seen in the past. That's, that said, when we saw them in the Clone Wars, they looked white, yeah. um, white European. Um, but then I, I guess on the basis that if humanity ever took to the stars and, and we colonized um, the, the the galaxy, then you would have multiple skin tones, multiple skin colours, um, even within one society. So there's no reason why you can't have white and, and non-white. It'd be good to actually, again, see more than... <laughs> from a white male perspective, it'd be good to see colors and creeds other than white male if that makes oh, sense absolutely that's what star Wars. i mean yeah exactly people from different planets and societies and it's perfect it is yeah, yeah. couldn't agree with you more so before we move on from the mandalorian have either of you got any final thoughts about how excited you are by this or anything else you'd like to just add well, if I could jump right into the computer right now, the picture I'm looking at, I'd give him the biggest hug ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want, I'm just sitting here with my chin between and on my uh, palms, of my hands, just waiting for something, anything, him to start moving, some action. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> it, it's been brought on. Is it Disney XD or something like that? I think so. Well, it's the streaming service. I think it's the streaming yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I've, I've got Netflix, I've got Amazon. Does that mean that I need to get another streaming service by mm-hmm. next Christmas? Well, it depends on what they do in the UK. <laughs> but, but, um, I'm a bit I'm, disgruntled about that. Can you tell? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's ways to find it, Mara. Disney <laughs> schmizny. Okay. <laughs> That wasn't a swear word. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Disney Shoesney is not a swear word. Um, but let's let's talk about something which um, Dave and Alex highlighted earlier this week. And so um, I could be wrong, Dave. Correct me if I if I am. But I don't think there's that much material which goes behind the scenes for the making of the original trilogy in Star Wars. I mean, I've seen some of it. Um, there's a film about Elstree, for example. Um, but there isn't that much. But this week. A YouTuber has uncovered a gem that was long thought to be lost, the making of The Empire Strikes Back by Michael Parbot. Um, I know you were incredibly excited about this, Dave, and, and as was Alex. 
Um, wh- why are you so excited about being able to go back and have a look at, at one of, well, I suppose, one of the iconic films of all time being made? It's just because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I've, I've seen almost like a comedy short movie that shows Warwick Davis um, running up and down the corridors of, uh, I'm assuming it's Elstree Studios, knocking on um, Hans, well, uh, Mark Hamill, um, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher's doors, um, from Return of the Jedi. Um, that was all very tongue-in-cheek, where he was almost like dressed as, as the Ewok and, and what have you. Um, and that, that was from almost, what, 35 years ago now? Um, so to see more of what went into those movies, and I think it reinforced the image I've always had of, of Star Wars is that it is quite a family atmosphere amongst the stars themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did hear um, or see um, s- stuff on Twitter recently that, that showed that um, Kenny Baker and Anthony Daniels possibly didn't have the best off-screen relationship in the world. Um, but on the whole, I think from, from looking at what I've seen from back, back then, 40 years ago, um, on the whole, I think everyone seemed to get on really well. And I, it'd be nice to actually see how the movies were made, some some of the work that went into creating. Because, again, we, we've seen bits and pieces. We've seen stills. We've seen photographs of them relaxing off set. We've seen photographs of the animatronics that went into building Yoda and, and to producing the, the attack on Hoth. It'd be great to see that as, as almost like as live action rather than just, just photographs. Did you watch it, Dave? I've not. I've not. It was not fascinating. Yet. It was fascinating. I watched the entire thing the minute you guys mentioned it. <laughs> That's just it. It's like, it was yeah, really, my, real life overtook me this week. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like glued. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm actually seeing this. I had to pinch myself. It was, you will, you'll, you'll love it. You'll get lost in it. It's just fabulous. Why is it fabulous? Why is it fabulous? Well, um, what you finally get live, um, well, for lack of a better phrase, live action, other than what Dave mentioned, just the photos, snapshots. Uh, we've only had snapshots, and that's why that's, that's all we've been able to post. But now we have literally, I can't remember how long it is. I think it's over an hour, hour and a half. Um of just footage of um, the director talking that I always butcher his name, even to this day. Erwin um, Kirshner? Yeah. He's talking on it. He's, uh, I mean, just some of the things that he was trying to get out and convey and, and get from the actors and the story he wanted to tell. And, uh, and then even Harrison Ford was on, uh, talking about, uh, the triangle as well as Carrie and Mark. And I mean, it was just absolutely, um, fascinating it's really worth a watch uh it's worth the time uh i was glued it was like this was you know a moment in history 
that now we have uh, behind the scenes. Uh, the Wampa, you know, <laughs> the guy in the Wampa suit telling uh, Mark how he was going to um, drag him off. And, you know, Mark with this quip of, it's always dragging me by my leg. <laughs> just little things like that, that it just makes it so um, endearing and just uh, a trip, not just a trip down memory lane. It was just really, this is a piece of history. And for any Star Wars uh aficionado or lover or just an, somebody who has an appreciation for it would really enjoy this. And I've rambled, but it's that good. Oh, I'm really intrigued now. I need to. Did, did they show the, them filming on set in Norway? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, how cold and, you know. <laughs> and poor Mark, you know, rolling down the hill. And, and, and what's the director's name again? <laughs> Just yeah, I know it's terrible. How dare you, Mara, say you're a Star Wars fan? Um, but uh, you know, it was just fascinating, and how he's rolling down the hill, and it's like gleaming cold out there, and he's, uh, you know, just really, it's great. You'll love it. Watch it, Dave. Right. I will. I will. <laughs> I'll watch it too. That sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to that now. Now, Dave, oh, you did met- Sorry, go on, Mara. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I just said it's fun. Sorry, Ali. No, no, no. That's I, I can't wait to see it. But you mentioned then, Dave, that um, on the whole, Star Wars actors get along and get along with fans. But we've seen an interesting development this week with Ray Park and the 501st. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about what's happened in the social media fallout? Yes. Well, I, I first saw this last night. Um and I, I shared it amongst the, the Jedi Council members on our private chat group. Um, quite a bit of an eye-opener, really. It appears that Ray Park was at um, an event. Um, 501st were also at that event. I think it was the Edmonton... Um, oh, what are they called? Uh, um, Garrison. Um, and it appears... That maybe one of the five hundred first members attempted to fat shame Ray Park. Hmm. Yeah, um, I <laughs> something something about the fact that he'd let himself go, or or his makeup was a bit of a mess, and for, from from the solo movie, because obviously, uh, spoiler alert, um, Darth Maul is in the the solo movie. Um, you only see him for a few minutes, and it's a hologram. And let's face it, it's <coughs> pardon me, um, it's a little bit of a of a scratchy hologram that you see of him anyway. So, for anyone to to point out the fact that um, he didn't his makeup didn't look that good or, or what have you, I think is is a bit of a tall thing. Um, but I believe Ray Park had also just been um, getting back to fitness after having a, a, an operation. So maybe he wasn't in peak physical condition at that point, but it's Darth Maul 20 years later. Yeah. It's not Darth Maul of, of the Phantom Menace. Um, it's a different era of Darth Maul. So, so why not? Why not him be a little bit flashier? But for, for, uh, to go back to what we were saying before about cosplayer, for a cosplayer, to attempt to fat shame um, Ray Park 
the Darth Maul. A man who could probably have ripped his head off if he'd wanted to. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Sort of beggars belief, that really, doesn't it? <laughs> now, I've not seen any photos of the guy that supposedly did this, and, and maybe the guy that, that did this is himself um, incredibly athletic and fit, and maybe he feels like he's in a position of superiority and he can, on the proverbial high ground, maybe he feels he's in a position to do that. But, um, no, it's, 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 it's I mean, I, I've only seen it from the fallout on social media. Obviously, I, I wasn't there, um, but it does appear that, that someone at Fiverr first needs to take a bit of a look at themselves, to be fair. Um, not to say that the Fiverr first themselves are bad. Um, Tulley, who is, uh, who has contributed to the Jedi accounts in the past, and I hope she does again. Um, she is a member of the Fiverr First in the Dutch Garrison. Um, and I know for a fact that uh, following the fallout, the Dutch Garrison did reach out to Ray Park, and he was very complimentary back to the Dutch Garrison. Um, but he has said that he's, he's had it with the Fiverr First. He's, he's given up his honorary membership. Daniel Logan has also joined him. Um, I think again because Daniel Logan has, has not had the best of engagement from members of the Fiverr First in the past um, I think it's a bit of a shame to be fair like, the, the Fiverr First wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the, the on-screen actors so for the Fiverr First whose very dependence very very existence sorry is dependent upon the, the actors for them to ever criticize or belittle any of the cast it's just it just feels wrong that just feels wrong and i know there's many great five for first like i said um but and i wouldn't say that this this is purely directed to five or first but but surely any cosplayer who wants to emulate what they see on screen shouldn't ridicule or attack uh, someone who's actually brought your dreams to life. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd echo that point about the 501st. You know, they do great things for charity all over the world, and it's a, it's a really cool organisation. But, Mera, I know that you are a keen user of social media, and I actually think this Ray Parks thing goes back a few weeks ago because there were whispers coming out that there may have been extra scenes in Solo um, because he'd mentioned that he'd got in shape. And I think that was the point where he started getting some online criticism. Now, I don't know if you follow him or not, but um, I, I wonder if, if, if really this was a few weeks in the making. And then on top of that, I personally feel we've gone through quite a good period where Star Wars fans have got back together and it's been a relatively quiet period and then we see this again. What do you think? Oh, um, well, I haven't actually followed him, um, but in, in reading um, what I had, it was, um, I don't know, I don't think it was the first time. I think it was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back where he's like, I don't need to deal with this. And uh, he's right. He doesn't. Um, after, uh, but... Um, I think it's unfortunate because, oh gosh, why do people do what they do? Why are people so harsh and uh, judgmental? I mean, they're not, 
the ones doing this. It's so easy for us to sit in our armchair, um, what, what do you call it? Just our at home behind the screen and keep keyboard warriors. Yeah. Keyboard warriors or just think that we're the expert or we know what it's like. I mean, good gravy. He's, he admitted to being in his twenties when he did that. Uh, what Phantom Menace? I mean, he's going to be in much better shape. I don't think the hologram did him much justice, but it wasn't supposed to. I didn't think he was, you know, warped or fat or I just was like, oh, I see his middle legs and he's wearing his robes. <laughs> you know, it was just it didn't strike me that, oh, you're, you know, everybody's face changes as we get older. Some people do thick out a little bit on his face. But my goodness, any pictures you see of him, he's there. I don't think there's an ounce of flab on that man. <laughs> So it's just disrespectful. You know, here's Ray and maybe even Daniel giving their time and wanting to focus on the charity part of it. Um, And uh, it's just kind of a slap in the face. You make somebody an honorary member, and then, you know, you do a few things that they finally say, I don't want a part of you anymore. That's just not the way I want to be or associated with. And it's just sad, honestly. No. And it's the... It's the few potentially ruining it for the many. Mm-hmm. Because, exactly. Yeah, uh, because he just, the Fiverr First does a lot of great things. And you always get rumors knocking about that like, the Fiverr First might be a little bit more elitist than some of right. the other uh, cosplay groups. Maybe they're a little bit more focused on perfection than some of the others. They, they don't allow certain ways to dress and and. and they focus more on quality and maybe that breeds a little bit more of an elitist perspective yeah. within the group. Um, that not that I'm criticizing. I like, everyone wants to do the best they can. Um, but do they, ex- do they, um, exclude people who are heavy overweight? I don't can know. anybody, you know, do you have to be so tall? Do you have to be so heavy? Do you have to be, I mean, whew. Yes, yeah, so that's a very good question. I don't know. Um, maybe that's a question to anybody who listens to us who is a member of the Fiverr First. No. Are there physical physical restrictions upon being a member of the Fiverr First? I'm not aware of any, and it would be horrible if there were. Yeah. Um, I've seen other cosplay groups. There's there's one that goes to events such as the, the Burnley um weekend that I tend to go to uh, first weekend of May, the um, Star Wars Family Fun Day. Um, and that's the, the group that tends to go to that is the 99th, which I think is just a, I don't know, I think it might just be a UK one. But again, they do very similar work to the Fiverr First in that they raise money for good charities, for local charities. Um, all of their activity at the event is to raise money, which is great. Um, and they do a great job of that. Um, but I would actually say that some of the guys that I've seen there, um, I would like to see them um, run in their um, armor yeah. because I, I think they might struggle. Um, let, let's, let's just say they, they may not be fighting fit. Uh, right. Right. Yes, and leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the way it should be. I think if, if someone is passionate about Star Wars and wants to dress up as, as a Star Wars character, yeah. we shouldn't be fat shaming them. We no. shouldn't be humiliating them. We should, 
if, if they want to do it, then they, they should do it and enjoy it and, and not be ashamed of what they want to, how they want to dress. Absolutely. Here, here. Yeah, could not agree with you anymore at all. And yeah, so it'd be interesting to hear if anyone from the 501st wants to reply to that, it'd be good to hear your views. So moving on, it's been a good week for Hasbro and for collectors. So this week we've seen a couple of new um, Black Series collectibles come out. Um, I believe it's Obi-Wan Kenobi and a General Grievous. Um, there's been an interesting development from the Vintage Collection. And my personal favourite, though I bet we all differ on this, is the Star Wars Resistance Collection. Obviously, Star Wars Resistance comes out tonight, which is the Sunday, 7th in the States at 10pm. We get it in the UK next week. Can't, can't wait to see it. But um, I'd like to kick off with you, Dave, and obviously you're a huge collector. What's really caught your eye? Um, well, I'll focus on the resistance thing, just because you, you've mentioned that one as a particular focus for you. It's not a focus for me, but I, w- I will actually cover it. Uh, just a couple of interesting things with, with this set, um, because they're, they're positioning them in the three and three-quarter inch category. So the, the figure for, for non-collectors... They are the same scale as the traditional original Star Wars figures. So that, that's the three and three quarter inch, 3.75 inch um, figure range. But they are very aligned to the animation, if that makes sense, which is slightly at odds with what we've seen with previous figures. Um, the the figures that they brought out for Rebels, I would actually say were were more closely aligned to live action looking characters. Uh, and same with the Clone Wars. That, that said, I might say, the, the Clone War figures tended to be slightly more elongate um, as toys. Um, which linked into the way that the animation was done. The characters tended to be more elongate and, 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 and more angular uh, made, and that was replicated somewhat within the figure range. Um, but I, th- I think for, for these new Resistance figures, they've, they've taken that a little bit further, and they, they look more like the animated characters, if that makes sense, much more like the animated characters than what we've seen on other previous ranges. Absolutely. I'm not certain about that one. <laughs> That's actually why I think it's really cool, actually, because I think it is a bit different. And I, I wonder if this is something that's aimed at a younger audience to sort of energise um, people who are watching it on screen who's a kid, which is what we believe, though we don't know, that Resistance is aimed at. And it encourages a whole new generation of Star Wars fans to, to start collecting, which I think is really, really cool. There's also one particular... Valid. I point that. And there's one particular figure which I really, really like. I don't know if you've both had a chance to look at them, but it's um, it's a droid which almost looks like he's got no casing. He's wearing um, what looks it's like a helmet. Yeah, yeah. It's a helmet. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea what that's about, and I'm really looking forward because obviously that's going to be explained in the series. So I'm really the looking bucket. forward. Bucket. The droid is called Bucket. <laughs> he's cute. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And then you know we've got what looks like a a gold stormtrooper. Um, I, I think I think they look really, really cool. And I can imagine if I was a five-year-old, it's something that I'd like to 
persuade my parents to buy at Christmas and certainly play with. So I think it's it's a real, really cool. Mara, is there anything that took your eye among the collectibles? Well, I might be a little too uh, too partial, but I think Bucket, is that his name? Might yep. be some sort of an unfinished R2 unit or R4 or something. It'd yep. be interesting. He's cute. I like the little helmet and the way he... Um, but uh, and of course you've got the po- I see what you mean now. I'm I'm looking at a picture of the figures, not figurines. Thank you, Jake. Um, uh, he corrected me on Twitter for a backstory, <laughs> with love, of course, because I am really out of uh, the collecting lingo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm kind of partial to this uh, little bucket droid and see what his story is. But it, doesn't he remind you a little bit of a a naked R2 or something? Yes, he's definitely an um, astromech for it, isn't he? Yeah. 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 So it'll be interesting. Yeah, Dave, what did you think about the General Grievous from the Black Series? I thought he looked awesome. He does. I really like him. Um, But then from the figures that I've seen, I like them all. Okay, I'm I'm a massive collector of the Black Series. So General Grievous is just phenomenal. Um... And I believe his arm separates. You can have him as two-armed or four-armed, which is just brilliant. Um, but I'm, I'm actually more interested, despite the Grievous one looking phenomenal, I'm more interested in the Obi-Wan one. Because it's, for me, it's taken from... Remember the original cartoon of the Clone Wars, the, the, the mini-episode one? That was the, the more flatline drawings as opposed to computer CGI animation. Yeah, I have. Um, yes, and, and in that Clone Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi was wearing armour. Yeah. As opposed to robes. And that that's what it looks like to me. It's, it's recognising him as the, the Clone Commander General. Yeah, it's almost like he's got robes over the armour, isn't it? It's quite he does. Detail. But that's how it was in the that's how it was in the uh, the cartoon. He's oh. also got got quite a stern expression as well. It's sort of a real uh, gravitas and an alertness yes. about him, which I think is it's really. I think they've done a really great job at getting the facial features. I know sometimes you and Alex say that that it's lacking, but I think this one looks really really cool on first browsing. It, it does. It does. Um, I'm. I started my Black Seas collection just collecting the Stormtroopers and just collecting the Clone Troopers because I've always thought that plastic, quite a few of the various different um, toy makers, collectible makers, however you want to phrase it, have struggled to replicate the warmth of a human face. Um, even on the slideshow uh, figures, um, where you're paying a premium of maybe $200 for one of them, that you're still struggling sometimes to, to get a decent human face. Um, but then I, I did then see um, a few of their human faces, the, the Han Solo, the, the Luke Skywalker ones, and, and I warmed to them, and, and I've now got a decent amount of human figures, <laughs> um, as, as well as the troopers. Um, but I agree that this particular on this, this Obi-Wan one, the, the facial fe- features are just phenomenal. Really, really good. Yeah, they really, are. They look good. Really like them. 
I, I think I also saw they the, the brought out the patrol trooper as well. Okay. Was that released as well? You know, from Solo, the the guy that's riding the police bike that that manages to have the crash in the, yeah. the whilst on Coruscant. Um, I think they've also released one of them. Uh, okay, I, I haven't seen that one, but um, okay, that, that sounds really. I might be really mixing that one up. I might be mixing that one up with another release that's that's come out around the same time. But I I thought that was another one of the releases for uh, New York Comic Con. And again, oh, I mean, that's just under Stormtroopers part of my collection. <laughs> <laughs> and Merrick, have you had a chance to look at the some of the Kenner original packaging um, collectibles that have come out? Um, you know, I think a few of them are from Return of the Jedi era, which is which is really really cool to go back to that. Um, the original. Well, the original type packaging. Dave, do you want to jump in? Oh, yeah, probably he should. Um, are they looking <laughs> they, like they, they did back with like? They they uh, do with the with the logos across yeah. the top um, and the little bubble with the character on them. They, yeah. They're referring to them as the vintage range. Ah. Um, and and there's um this one I think you will want, Mara. Um, on the on the conversations that we've had recently about you and Princess Leia, um, they they have brought out a bush bush, however you want to pronounce it, um, in this vintage range. Um, so it's it's the same three and three quarter inch range for for the traditional original Star Wars figures, um, and the packaging looks authentic. It looks vintage. It looks like the original Return of the Jedi packaging that you saw in the early 80s. Um, and it's, it's a standalone layer as, as Bush. Um, although I, I did see a little bit of controversy around that one because they've separated the helmet, obviously, from, so you can have a without, with or without the helmet. I had that figure years ago. I had it when I was a kid. I don't, anymore but I do remember having that figure and the helmet used to come off and there was a layer head underneath the helmet and the, the helmet was rubber from what I remember wow. um, and what they've done on the, the this new these this new range they've actually separated the helmet into another bubble so you've got the figure underneath a bubble Oh. And then the helmet is a separate bubble. And there's been a few comments I've seen online about that with people saying, why have you put it in a separate bubble? Why is it not in the same bit? But I think people are just being cantankerous for cantankerous sake. Then. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> there's also quite a cool, um, there's a, there's some from Rogue One as well, isn't there? There's a Scarif Stormtrooper, which caught yes. my eye. I thought he looked pretty, I thought he looked pretty cool and different. What did you think? It's nice that they're actually bringing in the new films, but producing the packaging that goes on the vintage range. I like that. That that's that's creating this this idea that no matter what what point of Star Wars you enter and whatever part of Star Wars you are in, it's one thing. And I think that that might be why I'm not a massive fan of these new Resistance figures. Right. That, that might be why I don't like them. Because if I was, let's say if I was the completist and I was collecting the 3.75 inch range, they would stand out as looking very, very different to the other figures. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's quite cool to, to go back to the original point that, I mean, I, I think Hasbro have done 
incredibly well here because I think um, we, we, we've all got our suspicions about Toys R Us and what happened because of Star Wars and we know the collectibles are not selling in the volumes that they used to just by the amount that are on sale. Do you think that maybe they've gone back to the drawing board, look at what's sold, look to what people actually want and produce a range that children can get behind, that hardcore collectors can get behind and also just casual collectors can also want to buy something because it just looks cool. What do you think about that, Mera? Oh, yeah. I mean, it does look cool. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I'm just, I just found the, um, one that Dave was talking about, about Leia with the helmet of, uh, <laughs> I, I knew. <laughs> in a bubble. That's going to be on your wish list now, isn't it? It is on my wish list, but there, <laughs> there's nobody to buy. We're going to make a collector of you if it kills us. <laughs> I know me and my first Lego kit. <laughs> I was yes. so proud of myself. <laughs> We are proud of you too. Except, and I'm just gonna say this, is everybody, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to be like Andy because he's the Lego maker, right? I mean, well, you've done it too. You, you've all posted your pictures of the bags. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'll be, you know, smart and I'll take pictures of the bags, and you know, then Dave pipes up and says. Oh, is this modern or is it, you know, what? And I'm just like, I can't remember what I said. But anyway, on the second post or something, Dave's like, oh, it's blah, 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 exactly what it was. And I'm thinking, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) But if you weren't like that, Dave, and you hadn't guessed it that fast, you wouldn't be the collector you are and the expert. So um, anyway, it didn't deflate my bubble. I finished it and posted the final product. Anyway. (laughs) Feeling quite accomplished. Look, it looks phenomenal. I, I don't have that set, and I, I do like that set. That's nice. Oh, well, and the price was right, too, so I <laughs> <laughs> first foray. Well, I was going to say that, that that's where, looking at the, um, going back to the resistance figures there, looking at the price point for them, again, that ties nicely into what you were saying, Ali, about the position in these figures, not only for the, the collector, but also to try and engage with new audience and, and children um, because they're pricing them as, I'm going to say pocket money maybe, because I think they're, they're priced at $8, which is about four, five, six pounds. So I wouldn't say weekly pocket money, um, or at least weekly pocket money my kids get anyway. Um, but it would, it, it would be something that is achievable for a child to buy, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Continuing the theme of Lego, um, we recently had a press release from Lego about Darth Vader's castle, which looks absolutely incredible, and we've reviewed on the collectible section of the Jedi Council website. Dave, could you just bring people up to date with what's available and just how amazing this set is? Yes. Um, first, I just want to say thank you very much to the, the PR team who work on behalf of Lego for um, including us on their press release and, and sending us an early notification that this, this set is coming out. Really appreciate that and really appreciate you doing that for us. Um, but, yeah, the set looks amazing. Um, I, Andy, we refer to Andy as Mr. Lego and not to to in any way undermine him because he does have a lot of Lego sets. Um, but I also have a lot of Lego sets, um, probably more than I should have. 
um, when I look at what I've got, um, to the point where I've got sets that I've built and then had to put into storage in the loft because I don't have anywhere to display them. Um, so, so yes, so, um, and, and Andy is a more complete collector than I am. Um, and, and I'll explain that because he, he will collect Lego sets because he's he's not bothered whether they're ships or one of their uh, more um, playset-based ones. And we often debate this between the two of us because I go for the ships. Uh, I've got a couple of the smaller playset ones, but they've been ones that have been bought for me as gifts um, rather than ones I could go out and buy myself. Um, I like the ships. I like the vehicles, the Atats, the the scout walkers, the um, shuttles, the, the the fighters, and so on. I don't tend to go for the playset based sets, but I've seen Vader's castle, and I think that might be the first playset that I actually covered. It looks phenomenal. It really it does. Look amazing, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> you know what um, makes me really happy is that you get all those little figures. <laughs> yes. I looked at the box and I thought, oh, I'm just going to get the one Stormy that I liked in my, my set. And I got two Stormies and then I got like two officers. I was like, overjoyed. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. To be fair, most of the sets, you do get multiple figures, which is quite nice. And again, I think that might be linked to the fact that the Lego sets are, um, Dare I say this for all the adult collectors out there? I think the Lego sets might actually be aimed at children. Yeah. Just in my in my head, that's why I think they might be aimed at. And and I'm I'm in denial by saying no, they're not. They're aimed at collectors, but but I do think they're aimed at children, which but is why you tend play to play with. Yeah. Yes. So you get multiple figures, and you, you un, usually, I mean, you don't get it in the one that you've picked up, but usually you'll normally find that there's goodies and baddies as well in a set. You do get specific sets that are all baddies and specific sets that are all goodies. Um, but you do get, generally, you get goodies and baddies in each set. And I think the idea of that is to try and... It's the fact that Lego is very good mm-hmm. at making toys that are playable out of the box. Um, and the idea that that You've got a, you've got something that you've automatically got protagonists within the box, and you can try and set up something that you either saw in the movie, or you can expand upon it and have the good guys being chased by the bad guys, or the, the good guys hunting the bad guy. And, and I do like the fact that Lego do that. Yeah. It, it's a very clever marketing ploy, but it's also it. it reinforces the fact that these are meant for children and Lego is trying to encourage creative play. Right. Well, this this castle is so detailed. I mean, you've got the two uh, Praetorian guards guarding him while he's in the Bantha tank. <laughs> yes. With a little garage. Yeah. It's amazing. So, it's lovely. Oh, yeah. It's, you just said TIE Fighter Garage. Um uh, for, for the English speakers, it's it's garage. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but but that almost reminds me of this this becoming a Star Wars Lego version of the Batcave. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. No, perfect. Exactly. But th- wouldn't they call it a hangar? <laughs> yes, I suppose it would be. I suppose it would be. Garage. And, and even in English, that's the way that we say it. Garage. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Oh, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> well, ah, back not, to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big collector, as, as I've said several times on here. But I think this is this is the coolest set I've seen so far. And as you said, it's incredibly detailed. It's so layered, and I I absolutely agree that this one is probably for children, except for the hefty price tag. So it's probably a Christmas present or a birthday present. But, um, yes, 119 in the UK, 130, oh. $130 US. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a steep price. Um, in Andy Bullcott's world, um, it's 11 pence per brick. Wow. Well, why would you buy that? You wouldn't let your children play with that at that, <laughs> would you? <laughs> Depending on how old they are? I mean, that's a little... Hefty, unless I'm a penny pincher. No, no, I, I, I'm torn on this one myself, to be honest. Um, my kids have got a number of Lego sets. In fact, I'm looking across the living room at piles of Lego at this point in time. <laughs> um, and for the most part, I might, there's quite a number of Star Wars sets in there, but there's a number that are the typical city sets that, that Lego originated out of and you've also got a couple of Marvel sets and then Nexo Knights and, and what have you and, and they're not cheap they're yeah. not cheap when some of the sets that they've got will be four or five pounds um, I suppose six or seven eight dollars but one of the sets I can see from where I'm sat was about 80, 90 pounds. So you're looking at hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's the way they're positioned. Fair enough. That was a birthday. Uh, no, that was a Christmas present. That one. It's not one that the boys would have bought themselves. Um, like I said, they're, they're, they're Christmas presents. I'm just amazed that they're still in one piece and it's not been dismantled and <laughs> it's not in a thousand pieces across the living room. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think Lego's awesome for kids as well. And so I think we've kind of finished talking about collectibles, unless either of you got anything to add. But I really, a week ago, Dave, or so, which was called What's Next for Star Wars? Now, um, I think it's safe to say the article finished being up slightly different from the way that you intended it to go. Um, yes. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was an honest and really well thought out and brilliantly constructed article if you haven't read it yet i'd really encourage you if you're listening to this podcast to go and seek out and read it but dave over to you about what you wrote and why you did it um why did i write it that's that's the bit that that comes to mind now it was more i think the idea originally was that I wanted to write something about where Star Wars could go and what what the brand could do. Because it was coming out of the announcement by um, Marvel 
uh, not Marvel, by Disney CEO um, Bob Iger, that there was going to be a slowdown in Star Wars, and a slowdown in movie production, at least, of Star Wars. And for me, I, I don't want that. I, I want... I want more. <laughs> you, you can't get enough good Star Wars. The, 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 the key word there is good. Um, it's got to be good. It's got to be quality. I don't want Star Wars to be watered down and to become a generic brand. I don't want Star Wars to lose the quality that I associate with Star Wars, and maybe other people don't agree with that, but for me, it's always been associated with, with quality. So that, that was my initial idea of the article, and I was just going to write about um, where I hope they go, and the fact that they're not going to take their foot off, off the accelerator, and they're going to continue to to put out quality Star Wars movies. That's, that's what I wanted to say. But as I started to write it, I thought, right, well, I need to try and explain my history of Star Wars and where, where my history of, of the relationship with Star Wars comes from. Because I'm, I, my passion and, and love affair with Star Wars is 41 years in the making now. Um, it's, I've known Star Wars longer than I've known my wife. Um, twice as long as I've known my wife, and I've known my wife for 20 years. Um, so, in fact, I've, I've known Star Wars four times longer than my eldest child. Um, and him and his younger brother mean the world to me. Um, but I've, I've known Star Wars for longer, and it's had a longer time to help shape who I am as a person, uh, for, for good or bad. Um, and so ultimately, this, this article, which I'd, I'd originally idea was to try and focus upon what I think Star Wars should now be doing and they shouldn't take the foot off it and they should, they should continue to put out good Star Wars content, um, became a backwards-looking article that actually looked at my past, possibly more detailed than... Um, I may have discussed on podcasts in the past. Um, and, and it became a little bit more of my, my history, my love affair with Star Wars over the last 41 years. I, I surprised myself by the end of it. I didn't expect it to go where it went. Yeah. Did you, I mean, some of the research in the article, I mean, some of the newspaper clippings you produced, I thought were, you know, fascinating. You know, I've, I, I was born in 1984, so you know you predate me on Star Wars by a small amount. But I just, I, <laughs> I just, I just absolutely loved the the honesty. And I wondered, did revisiting um, Star Wars in such a, a personal manner affect you and and really make you think about your love for it again and and why you do what you do on this podcast and. You know, you're very active on Twitter. You've got lots of followers. You've got lots of friends in the community. Um, your knowledge is... I don't know the friends. Well, <laughs> some of them may, perhaps not, but we're not going into that particular film. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're hugely respected, Dave, as, as someone who knows a great deal about Star Wars, and I'm sure Mary would echo that. 
Um, did you did you have to really dig deep and think about it? I mean, some of the stories about your dad, for example, I I felt very touched by reading it, and you know, um, I, I I really thought it was just a superb superb explanation of fandom. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, well, was it difficult to write? In a way, no. Um, my job outside of of what we do here and outside of my fandom is that I write for a living. Um, I wish I drew for a living because I do draw, um, but I don't get paid enough for that. Um, <laughs> so to pay the bills, I write. Um, but I I write business um, material. Um, it's it's all based around explaining and 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 almost like marketing and and business reports and documents and and that's what I do for a job. So I write for a living, so I can't. I hope I can write. <laughs> I hope the people who read what I write um, get something out of what I write. So putting pen to paper or, or typing um, is something that I, I, I do on a regular basis and, and I feel I can do and I've been doing that for the last 20 odd years now, 30 odd, no 20 odd years let's say um, so so it didn't come difficult when it came to putting things down onto paper um, what became strange when I was writing it was that it, it, it actually just became a timeline of me and, and even tying into um, important parts of, of my life. Um, the fact that when when my boys were born, um, the Clone War cartoons were, were just hitting. And so because I had a young family and because a very young family, um, Star Wars for a while was pushed backwards and, and became less of a focus, and so because you, you you just get on with being a new parent, um, and I think for me that it was it was strange that I've never actually thought and put it all down and and tried to explain it in that way before. So for me, it was more a, a case of exploring it in a way that I'd never tried to explore it before. Um, and it, like I said, it was just random that, that that article became what it became because it was never the intention of it being that. But, but for that, no, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that that wasn't enjoyable to write. Um, it, it became slightly cathartic as well to, to put it down on paper and to acknowledge exactly what it means to me. I mean, um, I'm going to slightly disagree with you, though, um, because I, I also get paid to write, distill, and present, and I don't think I could have written in that way, so honestly. I'd have held back a bit. So I do think that you you deserve so much praise for this article, Dave. Um, I've shown it to a few friends, and everyone who's read it has absolutely loved it and got a real sense of the type of person you are, which I just think... Well, I just think, you, you know, you need to... You need to know that people really have enjoyed reading it. Um, Mara, I want to turn to you at this point and ask you about 
your experiences with Star Wars. Um, I know you haven't written it down, and, and I might be catching you a bit on the hop here. But what what are your experiences? What 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 really did you take from Dave's article that you could understand, and and what was different for you? Oh wow! Uh, well, number one, it um, encouraged me to probably actually write my experience, um, if if I dare. Uh, it it is similar yet different because uh, I'm older than Dave. <clears throat> A little bit. Oh, my uh, <laughs> um, For me, to add on to that, I, uh, and maybe I will. Maybe I'll write about it and, and post an article, too, if that would be well-received with listeners. Oh, want to hear Mara's story of how she became a Star Wars fan or loved it. I will say that um, Star Wars uh, is very emotional for me. It was a, um, 1977 was probably one of the hottest years I had lived up in my little life. I mean, let's face it, I wasn't that old. Um, but it was quite traumatic. Um, two huge, uh, things that happened in my life. One specifically, my father had lost his business and had to um, go on the road to drive truck long haul to make money for his family of three children and wife um, who didn't work because, um, I mean, she ended up doing odd jobs and, and trying to make a little bit, but knew that um, that I need, I there's a big age gap between my siblings and myself, so I grew up kind of an only child, and I'm not really close with them. So... Uh, she knew I needed to have her home more for for various reasons. But uh, anyway, so just the separation of my father leaving and um, was quite traumatic for me at that age, uh, more than I thought it had. Uh, but, yeah, it's very influential if your father's home all the time, the next thing he's gone. Um, so that year I uh, went to see Star Wars, and there was not only R2, who stole my heart, of course, everybody knows that, but there was this girl who was meant to be rescued by these two strong, handsome guys with this, you know, walking carpets, and she ended up saving them. (laughs) And I'm like, I think that's how I am. I think that's me. And it really gave me, a, a, I don't know, a renewed sense of here's this farm boy looking over at the two moons on Tatooine and the music. Oh, my goodness. To this day, chills happen to me. And I've seen this movie. I've lost count probably thousands of times at this point in my life. Um, it is the one movie that makes me feel better. It's always been something I went to. I always had it on VHS, yes, before CDs, DVDs, um, that I would put on. And I didn't recognize till years later that um, I was putting that movie on as it was comforting. So, so Star Wars, now known as A New Hope, was definitely uh, a huge emotional. Um, comfort to me and i can go into detail later in my article (laughs) but it's huge it's changed it changed my life in many ways you can be a nobody and have purpose 
You can be a girl and you can be strong and yet you can be feminine at the same time. You don't have to let somebody make your decisions for you. It was life changing, literally. I don't know where to go from that. That was brilliant there. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, I certainly would welcome reading your experiences. Um, and, and, and Dave, is, is there any, is there anything else in, in your article that, you know, you really want to focus on or, or share with the listeners? No, no I've just heard uh, the way that Mara's spoke about it. I would say it's the same for me. No matter how my life has changed over the last 40 years, you can go back to that time. Mm-hmm. You, you can be that, for me, that four-year-old in the cinema. That's what that movie does to me. Yeah. And Star Wars has obviously accompanied both of you in, you know, to a huge degree throughout your lives, and you've seen it evolve and change and... You know, you're both huge fans in your own ways. What What do you think is the, is the biggest change that you've seen in the fandom in, like, the last 10 years? Do, do you think the atmosphere is still the same? Do you feel free to say your mind? What What do you think about those sort of things? After you, Mary. I feel, well, I'll, I'll be honest. In real life, uh, it's still the same. It's still, you know, they look a tolerating smile when I start talking about Star Wars, unless it's a fellow Star Wars fan. So I don't talk about it as much as I do on Twitter. Twitter has become, oh my goodness, in the last year and a half now, uh, kind of a Star Wars haven for me, (laughs) where I can just talk about it and there's nobody just smiling sweetly at me just waiting till I get done talking about it or, you know, I spot it to a stop. I don't do that on Twitter. I feel like there's more of an openness that I never knew before, really. And I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> how many decades old, you know, it, having this love of, of something that I couldn't talk about freely. So honestly, maybe I don't have enough to compare it to how it's changed. Um, it wasn't a girl thing growing up. Um, I didn't care if they made fun of me. I didn't let it stop me, but I didn't talk about it because, it, you know, now I feel so much freer. I do feel there's a toxic uh, sect, if you will, that I just avoid. I think that's small and, and very sad that, you know, it's, it's for everybody. Style Wars is everybody's. George made it for all of us and himself, you know, nobody owns it, but it's, you know, it's, it's there to enjoy and to take from what you relate to and you can have your own story in the galaxy far, far away. So I'm very liberated in being able to actually talk about it now um, and then avoid the toxicity, if you will, um, because you can. It's just unfortunately that it can seep over and uh, ruin it for some people. But you can't let it. You just have to focus on your pure love for for the franchise, uh, just Star Wars. Don't let it ruin it. There's so much good about Star Wars. I think it's important to hear about social media being a force for good and allowing you to express your fandom on a level that you previously couldn't bear. I think that's... That's really refreshing for me to hear that. 
Dave, is there anything you want to say about how the fans has changed and I suppose how social media has, has changed you and, and your approach to Souls? Even though I'm a, a bloke, I would say that some of the same face-to-face um, reaction is not too dissimilar to, to what Mara may have, have experienced in, in days gone by. There is still this this culture that geekism is one step removed from being a little bit strange and a little bit of a of an outsider style person mm-hmm. rather than being something that you should just embrace and say, you know what, I'm geek, I enjoy geeky things, but that doesn't mean I'm not a guy that would go down the pub and have a few pints with a mate. Right. It's it, it, it doesn't mean that I don't enjoy sport. Um, I, I think there is this, and it, I, it still permeates society, I think. I think there is this view that some people look at it and think, well, if you're a geek, then you don't enjoy sport or you don't enjoy what normal people enjoy. And I do think there is still that. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's getting better. It's getting better because of the fact that geekism is permeating media better. Um, because I, just, I don't know if it's in part because CGI is is making things more uh, obtainable on screen. Um, when I when I was little, um, the the types of movies that were on TV tended to be, um, I even mentioned this, I think, in my article, um, they, they tended to be the types of things like cowboy and Indian style uh, films, which I know is so on PC now because you don't even use the term Indian. But it, it was, it was cowboys and Indians, so it was the likes of John Wayne. Um, but it was also war movies, which tended to focus on World War Two. Um and that tended to be what movies were. Movies were not the geeky style movies. You you got a few like the Harry um, um, Harry Housen style movies, um, the Sinbad's, um, the Arabian Nights style ones, but they were in the minority and they came out every few years. But but for the most part, they were serious movies that were set in historical periods of time. Um, Whereas what we've seen over the last 10, 20 years is a complete opening up of the movie industry to different genres um, and making them more acceptable and allowing you to to go to a cinema and just, just live any character's life vicariously, whether that is Ghost in the Shell, whether that's DeLorean, whether that's Jaws, whether that's Star Wars or Star Trek. And you, you, you've had a much more widening of that in the last 20 years. And, and I think that has helped. And it means that you can talk about your love of Star Wars or, or any geeky subject, Doctor Who, um, however you want to talk about it, it's still, you still get the condescending smiles from some people. Mm -hmm. I'm a man of of, of 45 now. I've got 
two young children. Um, I've been happily married for the last 14 years. I hold down a, a, a fairly good job, I would say. Um, and yet people still look at you when you talk about Star Wars as though, just get a life. Yeah. Well, it's like, I have a life. I have yes. a successful life. Yeah. I have a happy life. Um, don't judge me just because I don't like what you like or because I don't talk about what you talk about. Don't judge me on that basis. Judge me on what I'm, what, what I do with my life. Um, so similar to you, Mary, in a way, um, I would say that whilst, whilst my desk at work is adorned with Star Wars figures, um, <laughs> Um, a very nice collection uh, on my desk. Um, for the most part, Star Wars doesn't feature in my day-to-day -day life. I, I might have my Star Wars cufflinks on. I might be wearing Star Wars boxer shorts. I might be wearing Star Wars socks. Right. Um, in the evenings, uh, I'll put on a Star Wars T-shirt, or weekends, I might wear a Star Wars T-shirt. But And obviously, my car is... Bedecked with, with Star Wars bits and pieces now. Um, but yeah. on a day to day basis, you look at me, you wouldn't think I'm a Star Wars fan. Exactly. Yeah, the same. I, I, yeah, I fit into the yeah. normal society. Um, yeah. And social media has allowed me to share that more with a wider audience. Of like-minded fans, like like you, Mary, like you, Ali, yeah. um, to wax lyrical about what I love about Star Wars, to share the artwork that I see online, to discuss the latest topic that's been released, to um, have a laugh, mm -hmm. um, to share stupid Star Wars memes, <laughs> to yeah, to, to to make Star Wars feel more of, like it's more of my life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't have to hide it on Twitter. My no. avatar is Darth Maul. Um, it's, it's who I am. Um, yes, I, I am a normal, mild-mannered, bespectacled person at home. Um, but I've, I've got a, a, a cape and... I wear my underpants on the outside on social media. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and and the social media does give you that. Yeah. And it 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 empowers you to say what you think about things that you love. <laughs> and then that brings you to the downside of it, because yeah. it empowers people to mm -hmm. say very hurtful things sometimes. Mm -hmm. and to say very nasty things and believe that just because you're on the other side of a keyboard whether that's the, the keypad of a, of a phone or whether it's a full-on QWERTY keyboard at a computer some people believe that they can say whatever they want and there's no repercussions right. and they can, they can insult others for their views and for their love and for their passion um, and that's wrong yeah I disagree with, with what people may put up on social media. Mm -hmm. And it, but it doesn't mean that I can attack them for it. Yeah, I agree. 
it, it means that it offers an opportunity to have a debate. It means that there's an opportunity to to try and understand where that person's coming from or to try and educate them that that isn't the only way that you should look at something. And I'm I'm always more than happy to have a debate, as anybody who has engaged with me on social media will be aware, whether that's Facebook or uh, Twitter. I will stand up for my values. I will stand up for my, my position. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to degenerate into name-calling and insults. Right. If if that is your your position in an argument, you have lost that argument. Yeah. Learn to debate as an adult, and don't just insult. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was I was keen to keep this this between you two, but um, I'm, I'm going to chime in with my own experience as well here, because actually I I wouldn't identify myself as a geek at all in any way, shape or form. You know, I played sport, rugby, football, ran as a kid, you know, very much university, going out, one of the lads type people. Um, My Star Wars collection is basically every film and all the animation. Um, But I feel completely accepted in this world. And, and I think it's it's I think it's it's got to a stage for me where I wish I wish people didn't have to have labels attached to them just because they're a fan of something or they're not. I mean I'm quite lucky. I openly talk at work about how much I love Star Wars. I think people who know me at work or follow me at Twitter are surprised the amount of retweets that come from the Jedi Council, which was there this time last year. Um, but um, you know I'm I'm in a very fortunate position where I work in a really good law firm where it's got a very open culture and I can discuss all these sort of things without any stigma or label and I think for me what's important is is breaking down those boundaries and as you said Dave earlier about tolerance or as you said Mera about um, being able to be a woman and be respected for your opinion and enjoy it because it's no different to to any males, you know, you know far more about Star Wars than I do, Mera. And I appreciate what you do because I learn from you in that basis. So I just, I just kind of wish, from my perspective, that that people would just be accepting. And you know, sometimes it's a bugbear of mine when I see people on Twitter going to head head to head, and it gets personal. And it just think it doesn't need to be like that. You can have opinions, you can be constructive. You know, I quite enjoy it when someone comes up with something that I don't know from the EU and makes me think about things again. I really enjoy being challenged like that. And I think that's one of the cool things about being part of this community that I feel so accepted into. Um, but just just to go back to you, to you then, Mera, is, is there anything else from your personal experiences you'd, you'd like to share? Um... Well, uh, uh, maybe, maybe not really. Um, other than what I've, I've said, it's just, uh, I love the opportunity to talk about something that I love. Uh, it's like, um, coming home, uh, with a group of people and I, I dub my, uh, followers my Twitter fam because that's how I feel. Um, there's been the occasional, 
you can dislike a movie, uh, but don't like, uh, the abhorrence for for Kathleen Kennedy or hate, and I want her dead, and I want to. It's just too much. Um, but you know, I unfollow. I don't. Um, then I get blocked by them, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's you know, choosing to for me that there really is a lot of negativity and it can seep into any fandom and it has and it does i mean outland i had a huge uh thing with some bizarre fans uh in uh recent past but it's almost like you know if we can sift through that and just kind of we come together i mean the group that i'm a part of and you're a part of on twitter for instance it's just it it is. It feels like coming home, and you know, for me, Star Wars is coming home. I that galaxy far, far away has so many possibilities, and so many. It's it shouldn't be restricted. It shouldn't be like it should only be the Skywalker saga. Well, why? You know, it doesn't have to be. There are endless possibilities. Um, yeah, maybe I'm that broom boy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like that was that was an amazing final thought, Mary, that I'm not sure we're going to be able to beat from you. Dave, have you got anything you want to say in closing? Yeah. Complete with Darth Vader sound effects. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, just... If, if we if if we focus purely upon social media just just for a second, as with Mera, there there are a group of of people on there that I regularly um, comment to, um, retweet, um, Sean Marwood, uh, Jake. Um, God, um, Emperor Nerford, uh, there's, there's, there's just Julian, um, yeah. I'm, I, I, yeah, and they're people that Scott, uh, Wedge, um, it's just, it, there, there are just so many great guys and girls, and, and I use the term guy to mean both, to be fair, just, yeah. just guys. Um, who just love Star Wars, who might disagree on certain things, but it doesn't mean that, that that there are some people who don't agree with me that The Last Jedi was was not the best film yet. Um, but it doesn't mean that we degenerate into name calling each other. We we, I would say that we, if anything, have a bit of a laugh about each of our perspective, um, and we remain civil. Yeah. And that's the way that fans should be. Yes. And that's the way that friends should be. Yeah. You don't always agree what they say, but you should respect that they have an opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that that's a really great place to end tonight's show. So, we are the Jedi Council. You can find us um, on Twitter at the Jedi underscore Council. 
uh, you can go to our website, thejediCouncil.com. Um, please, if you're on iTunes, do remember to give us a five-star rating and please do comment. It really, really helps us in the rankings. And as always, may the Force be with you. All the Force will be with you.